What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Zuniga Films Podcast. In this episode, I have with me Sidney Deungzen. He is a filmmaker, YouTuber, and I've watched his videos over the past year. I really like how he teaches, how he tells a story and conveys a message through his videos. And in this episode, he also shares how he went all in on YouTube and made it into a business. So without further ado, Sydney DeYoungson. Hey, Sydney, Thanks for being hey, on man, the podcast. Really oh, appreciate it. Me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to get you on here because I've seen um, a lot of your videos on your YouTube channel and, um, you know, some of them that I've watched have really helped me in terms of my filmmaking. And I know that the, the way that you teach and the way that you um, really dive deep in terms of detail can be really helpful, not only for my audience, um, but for anyone else who's listening and hopefully for your audience as well. So I'm really curious about your filmmaking story. How did you start? Were you always interested in making films? Oh, no, man, gonna have to go to the Wayback Machine now. <laughs> uh, for, well, for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to, to be some sort of storyteller, like, you know, playing with my cousins and friends, just kind of, you know, playing pretend and, you know, being pirates here and there and stuff like that. I've, I've always had some sort of imagination just to do things and come up with stories. And so I knew I've, I've always wanted to do something along those lines. And so, um, you know, pick, uh, use my dad's camcorder, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, just made some movies with my cousins and my friends and, you know, in high school, I decided that um, I wanted to pursue filmmaking full time, you know, as a as a career. And so uh, I went to a film school in Orange County, um, Chapman University, really, really good film school, met a lot of people there, um, including the Duffer Brothers, who uh, were the ones that created Stranger Things. And so oh, wow. I, I got to be a part of their um, their very first short film um, about the, the plague. Um, it was really, it's really cool. And so I can see a lot of, um, similar things in that short film that they, that they use in Stranger Things. And so it's just kind of cool getting to know them, learning from them. They're incredible directors and, and friends. And so, um, but yeah, I got to learn a lot at film school, but in film school, one of the requirements was to take a photography class where, um, you get to learn, you know, how the ISO works compared to the F stop and what kind of film stock to use, all that stuff. And, uh, and, and mind you, this is like way before, oh, I won't say way before, but it was just before the digital revolution, you know, started mm. to happen. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so we couldn't like preview what we shot right then and there. Uh, you know, I, I know that's kind of hard to imagine, especially in this day and age, like what you can't see, what you just shot. Like you literally <laughs> had to get a light meter, get the reading and expose properly or overexpose, depending on what you want to do. Uh, and then hope for the best when you bring it into the dark room. And so that was, that was, that, that's what we went through, but it was good. It was really cool learning how to do that. Um, but in that process, like the first, when, I, when I picked up my first camera, it was an SLR, not a DSLR. But when I took my first photo, I immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I mean, I'm used to capturing, you know, motion and movement, but uh, to capture an image, a still image, and just to freeze that moment was something pretty special to me. And I realized like, man, I kind of want to do both. I want to do filmmaking and photography. And so um, I realized really quickly that I, you know, could make a lot of money with photography. And so I shot a lot of weddings, um, you know, did a lot of in California and throughout the States. I even moved to England for a few years to shoot a bunch of weddings out there. Oh, wow. And nice. then, 
And then, uh, and that was really cool. I got to travel a lot, do some, you know, uh, take some travel photography and, and all that stuff. And um, somewhere down the line, I had missed filmmaking. I missed, you know, just creating stories, movement, emotion. And, and I've done that, you know, while I was doing photography, you know, made some short films with my friends, uh, entered film uh, festivals and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I missed just creating something for my own. And so it was just the end of my um, um, of my senior year in college, where uh, after college, you know, you would typically just go out to the studios and just you know do that that whole thing. And so I did that, but then realized I didn't like working for other people. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought I would just love it, just kind of dive myself right into there and just climb the ladder as a PA and you know do all that stuff. Um, but I hated it. It just wasn't a good environment for me. I just didn't like it. I don't like being told what to do. And maybe that was an early sign of of me wanting to become an entrepreneur. Um, but you know, doing weddings on the side kind of filled that passion for me. So I stepped aside from the studio and, and that's when I did weddings. Um, but yeah, I'd miss doing film when I was doing weddings. I, I was really good at doing weddings, you know, booking clients left and right, but you know, I wanted to create something on my own. So I took a break from photography and went back into film. And, um, and I, and that's when YouTube started to roll out uh, pretty big. Um, that was around 2007 to 2010. Mm -hmm. I think that's when, you know, I just seemed to started doing stuff. Casey and I started doing some YouTube videos and, um, I've, I've taken notice the, the, um, uh, the captivity when you watch a YouTube video. And to me, that was so interesting almost as if it brought me back to that time when I took my first snapshot in photography, seeing people, normal everyday people, um, making videos and putting it online, like to me, that was the dream of a filmmaker to create a film, find a distributor to distribute your film to, you know, the theaters out in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, YouTube was it. It just took out the middleman. It took out the producer, took out the, dis the distribution center. It took all that, ha all that stuff out and it made it available to filmmakers. And for me as a filmmaker, like that was a dream and I wanted that. And so um, an idea sparked in my head where, where I thought maybe I could do this as a living but at the time, making money off YouTube was so laughable. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, how could you? You know, that's not how you make money. You have to do the whole studio route. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to do this process. And so it was still in my mind, but I did shrug it off a little bit, thinking it was not possible at all. But, um, but I still wanted to do it. I, you know, would make some YouTube videos here and there just for fun. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then I went back to, to wedding photography. But then something just died in me when I just when I went back into wedding photography. Like it, it was good, it was fun, it made a lot of money. Um, and as a wedding photographer, like when you're making five to ten thousand dollars per wedding, like that's that's pretty good. You know, mm -hmm. you you pretty much made it once you're once you've hit there. But it it didn't do anything for me, and it wasn't the money at all. It wasn't the travel at all. I just I lost that passion. Like I was so intrigued by YouTube so much that it just kind of was this little nagging ringing in my ear that just lasted for, for like years and years. I think it was like about maybe seven years. And then I decided uh, to actually do YouTube consistently and full time, probably like around 2016. Um, but that entire time, five years ago, 2010, 2011, when I thought about doing YouTube, I, I realized then that I had wasted five, six years of my life by just kind of waiting, just kind of doing the safe route, you know, doing this and, and here and there where, where my gut instinct told me, you know, you got to pursue YouTube. You know, this is what you wanted. You want your work to be showed to the entire world 
you know, and cutting the middle middleman, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it just made sense to me. Um, you know, when I realized that that moment in 2016, I'm like, you know what, I'm done wasting time. You know, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so, um, and it was hard because I just got married, uh, just had a kid. And so pursuing something like that without a secure income was really hard, you know? And so, uh, I had to balance it out and I'm still balancing it out. You know, I still work full time, but I'm also pursuing YouTube. Um, but you know, early 2017 to, you know, up till now, like traction has started building up. I'm almost at a hundred thousand subscribers. Money is coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know people don't want to talk about the whole money aspect of it, but if you want to become a full-time YouTuber, you know, the reality is you got to make money. Right. And so, uh, so, but I love it. I love the business side of the YouTube at the same time, the creativity that YouTube brings and, and the, and the competition that it brings, seeing other people. Like, I love that, you know, I love that grind so much. And the best part for me is that when I make a simple tutorial or, you know, do this and that, like to get messages from people saying, Hey, I just saw your video because of that. I want to start my own YouTube channel. And, you know, when I started getting messages like that, I'm like, that's it. That's the reward. You know, it's not the, it's not the whole money thing at all. It's not the, the, the fame that YouTube brings. If you want to call it that it's not any of that stuff at all. But the fact that I got to touch someone's life by making a YouTube video meant so much to me that it just almost, like an addiction just started to <laughs> started to, to rise inside me right. that, you know, I just wanted to make stuff to, to help other people. And, if, and, you know, and I would get messages like, you know, every day, just like from people saying, Hey, I'm going to try this because of you, or I'm going to start a YouTube channel because you are, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to stop being afraid of, of, you know, pursuing my dreams because of this video, which was, you know, most cases videos that I don't, intend on inspiring people i just kind of make videos for me really and so it's just it's so cool and humbling and just so amazing just to get those reactions and messages you know like i just if i were to do it for free i would just to get all that stuff and to hear like those comments and messages and to know that you know a dad out there who was recently divorced you know finds so much fun and love and passion in filmmaking with his little girl because of my videos, you know, or someone in Jakarta, you know, saves so much money after like three years, after saving so much money after three years, finally grabs an old 60D, but it's now filmmaking because of a video I made or something like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, that to me is the currency getting, seeing people's lives change is, is the currency for me. And it's just the beginning, man. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I, everything that you said there um, really resonates because it's all about taking that leap, right? You know, you feel it within yourself. This is something that I really want to do. I mean, you're probably doing some other thing on the side. It's probably not the route that it's intended for you. You may feel like it's right at that moment, but in the in the end, in the long run, you have to go for what your gut's telling you. And that's oh, yeah. what you did. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I think I think when you know, especially for artists, like uh, a lot of artists are very fickle. We're very fickle people where, you know, we want to do we want to do everything, you mm-hmm. know, whether you're a photographer or oh, I want to get into weddings. Oh, I want to do into landscape. Oh, I want to do travel. You know, I want to, you know, live the Instagram life or whatever or what have mm-hmm. you. Like, I want to do so many things. Uh, I think as an artist, you have to know your end goal. You have to know where you are going so that you can set the right trajectory, you know, for your journey. And so, you know, for me, my, my end goal is to, is to 
pursue my own business so that I can stay at home with my kids and my family, you know, so that I can take them to the places that I've been to so that, you know, I can spend more time with my kids because I love my family to pieces. And, you know, I, I, you know, working in California, as you know, you know, <laughs> half the day is spent in traffic. And so that yeah. just, just sucks. And so <laughs> I want to, whatever, whatever that looks like at the end, I want to be here in the center with my family as I'm doing these things so mm -hmm. that my kids can see so that they can do the same thing. doesn't matter if it's their own business or if they want to be a hairdresser or a doctor, whatever, mm -hmm. but to see their dad work hard and to pursue his, you know, his dreams, I want them to see that as an example so that they can do far and greater things that I ever will. Right. You want, yeah, you just want to set yourself as an example to your children. That's awesome. Totally. That is great. So I want to backtrack just a little bit because I know you sure. talked about, um, going to film school. Mm -hmm. So there's those filmmakers that don't go to film school and those that do go to mm -hmm. film school. Um, I mm -hmm. personally haven't went to film school, but I know a lot of my friends that went to film school and both ways I've seen work out for many people. Mm -hmm. So for your personal experience, um, what do you see as like the benefits and probably maybe the disadvantages of going to film school? Sure. Um, I, will, I will say the advantages for going to a film school um, are the connections, the, for sure. Like, nobody knew who the Duffers were, you know, like, they were just very talented directors. Um, and, you know, now they have a hit show on, on Netflix, mm -hmm. you know, oh, nobody yeah. knew that. But, you know, if you were in their circle in film school, then chances are you're probably on the Stranger Things set, you know, along with them. Um, and, you know, I'll... It's, it's kind of funny. Like I would see some of my other friends kind of, you know, sending them Facebook messages like, Hey, you know, congrats on stranger things. I'm available. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh, don't be that person. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say networking is probably the biggest advantage film school has because it's not just, you know, networking with each other, but you have networks with studios and connections with professors that were in the industry. And so I would say the greatest advantage of a uh, film school uh, would be, would be that. Do I think it's, uh, necessary no i don't think so at all in fact i think i almost kind of regret going to film school hmm. almost i'm glad i went but i almost regret mainly because like there's, there's so much debt that comes along with it where you know just after film school literally like a year or two later like free filmmaking tutorials were available online on youtube and so you know sometimes i kick myself just like ah man all that money all that money uh, when you could have been doing something else or whatever. But at the same time, I'm so glad I got to go to film school. I'm so glad to, to learn the things from, you know, professors that won Oscars and, you know, just to have experiences with other filmmakers like the Duffer brothers, mm -hmm. like just to have those experiences, I, I don't regret at all. And so, you know, it, it's a mix. It depends. I mean, if you, have, if you have the money, go for it. Just don't put yourself in debt. But if you are kind of not sure, then I would say don't do it. Just, just go out there. Uh, find you know, find a friend or or even contact a studio. Say, hey, can I just uh, PA? Can I volunteer? Can I do this? You know, there are ways to do that for free. In fact, my professor said the equivalent to a film school to all four years of film school is to go on set on an actual set for one day. Wow! <laughs> and so, because you can learn so much right then and there. Yeah, you know? very true. So, and so, I would I would say do that, but you know, to each his own. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so in terms of your first job, paid job, yes. what was that and how did you acquire that? 
my first job was uh, a wedding photography gig. I think I did like 300 bucks or something like that. At the time, you know, as a as a 21 year old guy, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money. I could buy a lot of things for 300 bucks. <laughs> and so, um, but you know, I I kind of I barely worked, you know. I, part-time on normal jobs or whatever and so mm -hmm. getting 300 bucks for one simple gig it was huge to me um well it wasn't simple it was a lot of work i realized very quickly but um i think i just reached out to friends you know say hey i just got a camera here are some sample photos you guys are having any weddings or portraits i'd be happy to shoot i just trying to build my reel and so that, doing that kind of stuff like that is where the grind actually started because you know one gig led to another and then that gig led to another and bigger uh budgets and stuff like that so yeah nice so um i know you did photography for weddings did you also film for weddings I did. And I was in. I was even crazy enough to do, to be the sole photographer and sole videographer in a wedding. No help at really? all. Really stupid, crazy. Just I, I had a. What did I have? I had a Canon seventy at the time, uh -huh. where it was very easy because I would use my custom buttons to. Um, like one would be photography settings, one would mm -hmm. be video settings. So I'd switch back and forth. Super easy. Mm -hmm. So I take a photo. I you know snap. I think it was like twelve frames a second i'm not quite sure maybe nine uh -huh. like, da, 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 and then switch it over to the film okay <laughs> film i film in slow motion because i knew i'd, I'd double the time if i filmed right. five seconds i need to be 10 seconds worth of footage mm -hmm. so i'd be i'd be hustling it every single minute when i did these weddings solo um telling everyone oh yeah i can do photo and video easy not a problem <laughs> oh man that was that was so hard <laughs> but yeah i would i would do both uh photography and, and video Wow, that is so. <laughs> how did that work out? I mean, did that work out well for you? I mean, in, oh, yeah. in the short oh, term. Oh my gosh, totally, it totally worked out. To, I mean, I I booked a, a a wedding every single weekend because like I was the guy in England that would do both photos and videos for this price, and so I was like the go-to guy, and so that was fun, you know, for a while because I you know started to develop develop an income. Uh -huh. um, but man, that that wore me out real fast. Yeah. <laughs> so what was what was like the m biggest thing that you learned for filming weddings because a lot of um a lot of videographers filmmakers usually start with weddings um because it's because they know people that are about to get married and you know for the most part it everything goes in a sequence so you know what to do but when I started with weddings I made a lot of mistakes that I learned and I'm sure you made a lot of mistakes that you learned from so what were some things that you learned then that has helped you now? Oh, man, so many. Um, first of all, if you are a filmmaker starting out, a photographer starting out, do weddings. You will learn everything you'll need to know in your first three to five weddings. Uh, one of the first things I learned is that you got to have a backup SD card. <laughs> you just can't rely on a single SD card because it came as a bundle with a camera you just bought. You have to buy backup. You know, if your card is is um, <laughs> not working or you dropped it or you lose it, like you don't have anything else. And so mm -hmm. I've learned <laughs> to always have uh, backup media uh, and I've also learned to back up that backup. And so always bring a computer. Mm -hmm. I've learned to be resourceful. I've learned um, very quickly that, you know, you need multiple lenses or you need a second body. Um, basically just kind of preparing yourself for the worst case scenario is probably the best thing I've learned shooting weddings because if you're on set, and you don't have an SD card, then you know you could be fired as you know a first AC mm -hmm. or even the DP if it's just you know the DP kind of wrangling all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean even things like 
knowing how lighting works, you know, like seeing the sunset at a, at a certain angle, like, okay, cool. I know what kind of ND filter to use, or I'm going to use a graduated filter, or, you know, I want to get, the, I want to get a flare. So I'm going to wait for this time or wait a 30 minutes more so I can get softer lighting. Those kind of things you kind of just learn as you go, um, which it's super helpful when you're trying to plan, uh, let's say making a short film, you know that, okay, so we're filming a short film in autumn. Uh, we know that the sun is going to set sooner. So let's plan for this scene here and, and all that stuff. So things like that, more practical things you just learn um, as a wedding filmmaker, um, which is very, very valuable, I think. And so that's something that people can't necessarily teach you per se on paper, but something that you just kind of have to experience yourself. Yeah, it's it's all experience for the most part. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just go out there and shoot. Yeah, exactly. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. At least have a plan though. At least have a plan. That's important. Yeah, yeah. But the, you know, you can always have a plan, especially when you're shooting weddings, but something's always gonna oh, happen. Of course. You know, uh and, and even like, you know, dealing with brides, you know, sometimes and I'm sure you've you know dealt with your fair share of bridezillas, but like that could be <laughs> in many ways, that could be a client. You know, that could mm-hmm. be a client that has a, like a shoe that's like freaking out because it's, it's the, not the right lighting or whatever, but like learning how to diffuse those kind of situations and, mm-hmm. and um, um, developing good customer service, mm-hmm. you know, in real time is something so valuable and easily learned in, in weddings. Right. And I'm glad you said that because I want to touch upon that. Um, as much as filming is an art form, mm-hmm. it's also a business and yes. you're also dealing with clients who are people. They're humans too. Mm-hmm. So in your case, how how do you build lasting relationships with clients? Uh, ooh, really good question. Um, I, I would say to under-promise and over-deliver and, and to... to a lot, maybe over communication, I would say. Um, when I when I used to work with my wedding clients, I'd work with them for for a year because they would book a year in advance, right? But you know, uh, I, once we we sign the booking, they put the deposit. You know, I would check in on them once a month, like, hey, how are how's wedding planning going? You doing okay? Anything I can help with as far as like advice or tips and stuff like that? And so, I would develop really good relationships with uh, with my brides and my grooms because you know, come the wedding day because we've had that set of communication for the past year, they can now trust me. So when things go awry and things are just not the way it seems, if I say something to them that everything's gonna be okay, they're going to believe that because we've established a relationship. And so uh, so that's definitely good training, especially for like, for shooting a documentary, if you're you know working with a subject and you know you wanna be able to pull out some really deep answers from the person that you're doing the documentary on but the only way to do that is to establish a, a, a trusting relationship, you know, whether it's, you know, just having coffee once a week with that person for a month or just kind of hanging out with them or mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, I, I think I think a lot of people forget the the human aspect of filmmaking where where you're right. You know, there is a human there are humans involved. And so if you want to tell a compelling story of, you know, uh, of Billy, you know, don't force it to create, you know, the, the tear jerking moment, you know, really get to know him as a person and let that humanity, you know, grow itself and let mm-hmm. it, and let it just let it be seen on camera naturally. And so, um, so yeah, so even with weddings, like, because they, uh, sometimes they freak out, the brides would freak out and, you know, I'd say things to assure them that's going to be better for me because I'll get better photos. You know, if they're happy, right. 
then the photos will look better. And so everybody wins. But I think that all starts with the photographer. I think, I think a lot of people kind of neglect how powerful the photographer really is, even more so than the videographer and more than the wedding coordinator, because the photographer is there the entire time. You know, and so you're taking photos, taking intimate shots with the bride and groom, and you just—it's—it's it's a trusting figure, and and there's a um, uh, an authority, you know, that photographers have, and so if you can have if you can have the confidence to assure your clients that everything's going to be okay, um, then you've won the day. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to be that strong figure within the set. You have to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally have to be. Yeah. Awesome. So. Going onto YouTube, because I know you decided to take the leap and go into YouTube because you felt it deep in your gut. That's what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, what were the first steps in starting to build your channel? Um, honestly, it was just to start. Like I know I mentioned earlier that it took me like five, six years to just even start from that initial idea to, to actually doing it. Man, I, I will never, ever, ever forget how much time I lost because I could have been doing all that stuff back in the day, you know, five, five, six years ago. And so I would say for me, one of the biggest things that held me back from doing YouTube was just the idea of per perfection because I wanted that first episode to be perfect. When in reality, your first episode is not going to be perfect. In fact, it's going to suck real bad. And so, uh, and I, and when I decided to actually started doing YouTube, um, full time, um, I was like, I had to uh, just accept the fact that this first video was going to suck. And I think I even said that in the first vlog. I was like, I, this, this video is not going to be good, but I know I'm going to trust the fact that I'm going to evolve. I'm going to get better. And, you know, one year later, I'm going to look back and be like, yep, that's right. That's right. You did get better. And so the, the, the hardest struggle is probably just to start. And probably the most important step to, to starting a YouTube, YouTube channel is to just start, you know, don't worry about branding. Don't worry about all that stuff. Don't worry about having it being perfect. Just mm -hmm. get in front of your camera and just film what you want to film, or at least think what you want to film. Uh, and then just let yourself grow from that. Right. Exactly. So do you have any tips in terms of growing a successful YouTube channel? Cause I know you right now you're close to like 57 K. Uh, 59k, almost 59k. 59K. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So in terms of where you started to where you are now, how did you stay consistent or like in terms of the types of content that you decided to put out, how did mm. you choose what to do? Uh, good question. So I, um, I started out doing vlogs, you know, kind of followed the whole Casey Neistat path as many do. Um, but then realized it just, I didn't get any, I didn't get many hits. It just, it didn't felt right. I it just felt so forced in a way to the point I was like, you know what, maybe this YouTube thing isn't good. I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't feel right to me. Um, screw it, you know? And, but then I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing what I, what I really like doing. And, and that's capturing moments with my family. Um, and I started this series called film journals and funny enough, it was, that moment when I started actually being authentic and genuine and filming something that I loved is when I started getting some traction and some subscribers and views and stuff like that. And so, I mean, you hear this advice all the time from, from many YouTubers is just to be yourself and be authentic. 
and it couldn't be any more true. Like mm-hmm. it is so true. You can't force yourself to be another Casey because there already is one Casey. You know, you just gotta be you. And so, um, so yeah, I just started filming stuff like that, um, and then talking about the gear that I had, and, and because I was really passionate about it, and you know, saw that people like that, uh, like those reviews and tutorials. So I was like, all right, let's do more of this. And so did more of that kind of stuff to eventually just kind of doing more camera gear reviews, and it started getting broader because I I chose a specific thing for film journals, these little, you know, micro documentaries, mm-hmm. and then it expanded to, to camera gear reviews, tutorials, and, and now back to vlogs. So now I can, you know, go to vlogging again and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it's just testing the waters and, you know, seeing what works really. I mean, if you're a YouTuber and you're trying to figure out what to do, just, I don't know, just hit record on the camera and see what happens, you know? Uh, and then eventually it's going to evolve to something. Um, if it doesn't work out the first video, then, you know, just, just trust the fact that your path will be realigned to where it needs to be. And so that's the one thing I learned just to, you know, let myself, let myself fail, but also let myself figure it out to, to finally almost like just kind of giving up on, on forcing myself uh, to be another Casey or whatever, but just to, you know, really be myself and film, film the things that I liked and, and just be true to that. Awesome. So what I got out of that was, basically it's it's all experimentation it's trial and error but Mm -hmm. start with what you love to do first and share that with everyone totally because if you're going to be filming a youtube video every single week it's it's got to be something that you love you know like i'm not going to film anything about cooking because one i don't like like cooking two (laughs) it's just it doesn't fit me but why would i force myself to make videos about cooking you know Mm -hmm. what i mean (laughs) right exactly i want to make i want to make videos uh you know little micro documentaries in my family i want to do little videos about you know gears and contraptions and all Mm -hmm. that stuff like i love doing that stuff and if i like doing that stuff then rest assured there's probably a group of people like me that will like that stuff too and so, and that's the type of people that I want to attract. That's the type of people that I want to speak to or even do YouTube meetups with. You know, I think a lot of people try to, um, they want to go for a broad audience when that's not true at all. But I think, you know, for the successful YouTubers, they're, they're narrowing it down to one single niche, you know, one set, a, a specific group of people. And, and they're always successful. Like Nike, their, their, their number, their specific target is a 17-year-old high schooler, female high schooler, you know, uh, athlete. And because they're super specific on that um, target, you know, because everyone wants to be, you know, a, a cool high school athlete, you know, people that are older want to go back to those days. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just as young. And so because they've narrowed it down to a 17-year-old female athlete, like, they've won, obviously. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I, I did, I'm aiming for, you know, the 24 to 35 year old uh single or you know recently married dude that loves camera gear who's also a nerd that loves comic books but also likes to have a little fun you know so nice. i'm looking for people i'm looking for nerds like me <laughs> pretty much <laughs> you know that that's that's what you have to do you have to express yourself what your interests are right like you said mm-hmm. and there's always going to be people that share the same thing that you share Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot of YouTubers out there that have like really interesting genres, you know, things that I've never even heard of before, but they got massive followings. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? All right. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, you see a wide range of different niches. Um, Is that that how you say the word? Niche. Niche. I'm not sure. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. (laughs) But they're doing 
what they love to do, yeah. but it's so narrow and there's mm-hmm. a big audience that they've built. So, you know, it, it, it can be done and people have shown it being done. So, yeah. And, and I know that you have your road to a hundred K that's mm-hmm. your next goal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you get there in terms of you specifically? What's your strategy? My uh, my current strategy is to be is to be consistent, and um, and kind of ride the the wave of what's happening in the in the camera world, um, and so um, which is funny because I did that when I started like you know um, started growing real fast, and I think last year I ended with maybe twelve thousand subscribers, December mm-hmm. two thousand seventeen. So December two thousand seventeen, I had like twelve thousand subscribers, and so that exponentially grew early this year. Um, which is really cool. Um, and it kind of plateaued a little bit, mainly because <laughs> I lost 6,000 subscribers randomly. I think YouTube hmm. does some sort of cleanup and that kind of messed up whatever algorithm, it's which is weird. fine. It's whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the goal has always been the same. It's just to be consistent. I produce at least one video a week um, and just create videos that are relevant to people. Like, you know, the new Sony cameras are coming out. I'm a big Sony shooter. I'm going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, like, like, I'm, like, like tomorrow's video is going to be about the Sigma 35 um, art lens for Sony cameras. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty popular thing because it's a brand new thing. And so um, I want to talk about that. Um, even the new Canon EOS R that's just, that was just announced. It's, you know, it's just finding things that I myself would look up and listen to. Like, I want to make those videos, giving my thoughts and opinions on that. At the same time, you know, showing people how to do stuff, like showing them what I just learned, um, you know, and that way they can learn it and do better. And so, um, so yeah, so I think my, I think my strategy will always be the same, just to be consistent, find relevant topics, um, and just make, make super entertaining and informative videos. Awesome. That's great. Now, in terms of the types of projects that you do now, um, because obviously you run your own business, Mm-hmm. Um, what is the majority of projects that you're doing now? Are they corporate? Uh, so they are 100% uh, YouTube. YouTube? Yep. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I stopped doing client work because it was hard to keep my mind out of the headspace of YouTube because even when I was doing client work, like I was doing, I think my last client work was... Um, was for a smoothie drink or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was hard to wrap my mind around that when all I thought about <laughs> was YouTube. So uh, it just it wasn't fair to the client. It wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to you know my YouTube audience. And so I am 100% going full time YouTube, but also making an actual business out of it. So in terms of like you know selling digital products and to and to merch to to working with um, certain backpack companies because I eventually want to launch my own camera gear. Um, line eventually, cool. um, stuff like that. So actually trying to make a business of the space and not necessarily just YouTube, but like, because there could be something, you know, in two, three, five years that will be the new YouTube, whatever it is. And YouTube will be the MySpace, <laughs> you know, it's it just, that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. So whatever, whatever this is, YouTube has allowed me to actually embrace it, um, uh, to, to embrace an actual business. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking into, to more, to more sales. I'm looking into more, um, you know, doing meetups to, I just started doing, um, um, uh, public speaking this year. I want to get more into that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So really trying to make an actual business, you know, 
uh, that that started from doing YouTube videos. Right. Because most people may think if you're going full time into YouTube, you're going to just rely on the AdSense. Yeah. Oh, you can't but do that. No you way. can't do that. No you way. can't do that. You have no. to think outside the box. And like you said, you have added different streams of income through, you know, digital products, like you said, sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sponsorships, um, yeah. how have you been able to get sponsorships? Uh, I would, uh, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I'm probably not so proud of. At the same time, I'm, I'm really glad I did. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so when I started doing... Um, uh, sponsor stuff. I, I just reached out to different brands. Like I would email them. I would send them DMS on Instagram, Twitter. I would reach out to the people that I liked a lot and, um, several people responded. Some didn't, and that was okay. But those that said yes, um, I was able to get like a free backpack out of it. And I did a review on it and they got a great return on investment because they sold a bunch of backpacks, you know, and I could, and I could see cause I could see the sales. I'm like, wow, you, you sent me a $200 backpack and now you just made $4,000 from this video. Mm -hmm. So you guys won, but at the same time, you know, I also won too cause I got a free backpack and also I got to make a video about that. And that started, you know, that started building up my reputation and um, more companies would reach out. And so now it's gotten to the point where it's, uh, um, you kind of have to say no to certain uh, companies because for one, products aren't very good. And two, sometimes they would, they would kind of cheat you out of it. And so you have to be really careful when you say yes to, to sponsors. Um, but, you know, it's really just reaching out to, to the people that you want to work with and not being afraid to even give them a call. Um, like I remember I gave a call to um, uh, marketing VP at Think tank photo uh, they mm -hmm. make incredible backpacks and camera bags uh, i got this number on the website i'm like uh, i'm gonna give them a call and i was like oh hey uh, i just started a youtube channel i have 2,000 subscribers can, can i get a free backpack for review um, but he said yes and so uh it's stuff like that you know just doing an actual doing what business people used to do back in the day mm -hmm. you know is what always will work you know it's like door-to-door -door salesman you know it's mm -hmm. just knock on the door and it's like hey i'm i've got this product or service, you know, do you want to do business with me? And so it's the same thing here. It's just, except it's a lot easier now because you can, you know, grab your phone and send a DM to, you know, Nike or whoever. And if they don't respond, they don't respond, but you know, it's a fishing game. You just got to, you know, send out as many um, messages and emails as possible, contact the right people, like, like really hustle, like use LinkedIn, you know, go on Facebook and, you know, I was trying to, trying to figure out, you know, how to do that stuff. I was actually really clever. I, um, when I reached out to certain companies, I would actually look them up on Facebook first uh -huh. and like, Oh, Hey, you like this guy likes bass fishing. Okay. That's cool. And so I would, <laughs> you know, send him an email saying, Hey dude, uh, you know, uh, I'm going on this bass fishing trip. You know, I'm looking for a camera bag that way. <laughs> so I would, I would say stuff like that yeah. to cap capture their attention. Uh -huh. So like that's, that's where the real hustle <laughs> was trying to reverse engineer. You know, that's that smart. And it, worked. it totally works. And you know, I would even, um, um, they're probably going to listen to this, but I don't care. I'm, I'm, I have a good relationship with them now. But, you know, I would buy things off B&H uh, uh -huh. you know, to review a product. And then when I was finished with it, I would return it. <laughs> and so, and so it, but it works. You yeah. know, it's, um, it's uh, I got some stuff. You know, I, I, I guess I kind of lost money <laughs> as far as the restocking fees. But, you know, I mean, it, it was my way to hustle. You know, because mm -hmm. I, I didn't have any any sponsors or any company to sponsor some product to review, I kind of had to do something myself. And so that was my way uh, of starting off. But, you know, 
but now, you know, you know, I'm in a better place now where, you know, I get, I get to get products and, and review them and stuff mm-hmm. like, and sometimes I get to keep them, which is really cool mm-hmm. and really nice. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, if you can, if you can pull off, you know, contacting sponsors, I think you learn a lot as a hustler, mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to get the clients you want, even like that goes back to wedding photography, you know, mm-hmm. like trying to figure out, uh, like, like when I moved to England, like nobody knew me, but you know, I'd reach out to, to wedding magazines. I'd reach out to, to, to friends. I'd print out flyers that, you know, Hey, wedding photography. If I saw someone doing wedding photos for 1500 pounds, I would do it for 1200 pounds, you know, just to mm-hmm. be competitive. So it's, it's that kind of mindset trying to figure out how can I get into the market? Like, how can I hustle my way there so that I can be known? Um, so, so yeah, <laughs> no, dude, I, I, I love the hustle, um, because you have to think outside the box when you're trying to communicate with these companies and brands, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree. I, I'm going to, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm saying this for fun. And the reason sure. why is because I think a lot of people think outside the box, uh-huh. I was actually thinking inside the box. I was trying to think, you know, old classic traditional business salesman, like how am I going to capture their attention, which is a very simple thing to do. You know, it's not, you know, doing this and that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to outsmart this person or whatever. It's like, no, this is like a very rational old school thinking Mm -hmm. in, you know, a post uh, 21st century kind of mindset, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a door to door to door salesman, you know, tactic, you know, what am I mm-hmm. going to do to have, if, if this house says no to me, what can I do to have this other house say yes? If this person has, you know, um, petunias on the lawn, you know, maybe I'll just grab a bouquet of petunias, you know, mm-hmm. and present to the, to the person at, at the door, whoever, you know what I mean? Or if they have kids, oh, maybe I'll bring a toy, you know, right. trying to do stuff like that. And so, so that's why I, I, I playfully say, you know, I don't think out, I really don't want to think outside the box because mm-hmm. everybody else is thinking outside the box. <laughs> I want to think inside the box because it works. Exactly. What's the simplest way to get to these people? You know, the tried and true method that works and it's basically communicating in the simplest form. You know, mm-hmm. what everyone, like you said, what everyone's been doing for mm-hmm. many years. Yeah. But now that we have social media, yeah. it seems like, you know, everyone is disconnected in a way. But I think with social media, it really helps with communication. Yeah. Everyone is it, is closer in terms of communication. Uh, maybe we might be a little farther apart in terms of connection Mm -hmm. but communication wise i think social media has a really big uh play on that and um and i like the fact that you said especially with the bass fishing story um because that was really cool i mean you have to connect with the these are also people too you know like you said behind these brands and you're Mm -hmm. communicating with these whether it be the vp or whoever else and you just have to try to communicate in a way that you're able to set yourself apart from all the other emails, messages that they're receiving. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, I don't even, like, even now, like, I think a lot of people, because people are trying to figure out, you know, oh, I can just DM this brand or whatever. And that does work sometimes. Uh, I would say maybe 50% of the time, but I, I find, like, the 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 one way that kind of always works for me is by just calling them and that's probably the hardest for a lot of people but because it's not used so much you kind of you call these you know uh, uh marketing directors and they kind of get caught off guard it's like oh mm-hmm. uh, uh yeah sure i guess <laughs> you know they don't really have enough time to think about uh-huh. it 
but but it but that's always worked a hundred percent of the time like uh, emails uh i actually get a better percentage over dms um emails but 100 percent phone calls always work it's uh like even calling through a company say hey can you connect me to you know the marketing department or connect me to you know chloe you know peterson um you know if you find her contact on linkedin or something like that like I, I find like direct contact with people always works for me. <laughs> that is great. And that's true. It, it, it does. It does. Um, so yeah, keep it up. That is awesome. Oh, thanks man. Um, so the, the next thing that I want to um, touch upon is your business because you're an entrepreneur, you're running your own business through YouTube. What has been the hardest thing that, you've been able to learn from running your business and what has been the most fun thing about running your business? Um, the hardest thing about um, running a business is just uh, balancing time and trying to make it work um, with my family. You know, I got two kids, but wife. we just moved to Texas? Um, so kind of getting used to that. Uh, at the same time, I also work a full-time job still. And so trying to figure out how to do that. I mean, I wake up super early in the morning, you know, I wake up at three o'clock, Three to seven, I work, you know, then I do my full-time job. At lunch, you know, I, I do, I do you know, my business. And then when I come back home, spend time with the family. But, you know, from 10 to 11 or sometimes, sometimes, sometimes like later, um, you know, I work then. And so um, trying to balance that time is kind of difficult for me. And, um, and I'm happy to be honest about because, you know, you see a lot of YouTubers that portray the happy side of things. Mm-hmm. I really want to portray the hard stuff. I want to, I want to portray both. I want to portray the struggles and the, and the triumphs. Um, and so for me, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that that's my struggle. It's just trying to manage that time um, and all that stuff. Um, but I would say the reward is, is like, is getting those comments is seeing, you know, um, People be inspired by those videos, seeing the money come in, um, mm-hmm. you know, that now that it's a sustainable income that I can provide for my family that, you know, my wife doesn't have to go out and get a second job and we're always kind of busy and the kids don't ever see us. Cause I lived that life. Like my parents were never really around because they were so busy, you know, um, you know, California is an expensive state. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to be there for my kids and, uh, and my wife does too. And so, um, so that's the reward. That's the reward I want to always see. And so that's, that's why that, that fire still kind of just burns inside me to like just keep hustling every spare minute that I have because I know that one day, one day that I'm going to get there. Um, and it doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter how many subscribers I have. But once I have something that's, that's feasible to, for me to live off of that I can leave my full-time job, like I'll know I'll made it. Like that's my, that's my end goal. And so, uh, so that's the reward. That's the reward that I see. And I'm just, man, I'm just looking forward to that day. Nice. So storytelling. Mm. I know that there's story in every form of video. Um, And sometimes as filmmakers, we can get lost. Even younger filmmakers that are just starting out might get lost in terms of like the gear, right? As much as gear plays such a big role uh, to tell your story, um, they might focus too much on like the next biggest, best thing. Sure. Um, for you, how important is story for video? It is a thousand percent way more important than anything. Way more important. 
Um, I, uh, I did one of my first journals, film journals was, um, was with my buddy, Ricky. It's called Coffee with Ricky. And that was just shot with an A6300 or A6500, I'm not sure. And um, I, for, I even forgot what lens I use. But, you know, considered, you know, with the grand scheme of things, like people have GH5s, like these thousands of dollars worth of gear and stuff like that. It's a fairly affordable, you know, little setup that I had. It was all I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I was so focused on his story when I was filming his interview and the B-roll and telling his side of things and, and seeing his world through his set of eyes, um, that drove the story and people forgot about the gear. And then when people saw the video, they're like, that was shot on an A6500, like a small, tiny mirrorless camera. No way. That's not mm-hmm. shot with a, a Canon 5D Mark III mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I like that. I like surprising people with that. You know, um, in many ways, like I have a, I have a full frame Sony camera right now. And, and in many ways, I'm so tempted to sell that camera just so I can use underdog cameras because I want to be able to show people you can create amazing things with, with whatever you have. Right. And so I might even, I might even do that for next year, you know, in season, season three of the YouTube channel, just to be the underdog. And it's like, I'm not going to buy anything expensive. I'm going to focus on this tiny camera. I don't know. I'll, I'll also play around with the idea, but, but yeah, story, story matters. And the reason why stories matter, especially for genres like documentaries, is because people matter. And I think a lot of people forget that. Again, we talked about the whole human side of, of storytelling. If there's no human side to it, then, you know, it's just a bunch of flashy images that look good and, and may get lots of views, you know, the first 24 to 48 hours. But, at, at, at the same time, it could be forgettable. You know, I want to make I want to make content that people remember because they connect with the person in the story, or maybe they connect with me, or maybe they, they connect with the situation in the video, whatever that may be, whatever story that is. I want people to connect with, embrace it, and take it, and uh, and run with it. Um, and so that's story. Story will always always trump gear. Uh, I even, I think I made a video. I made a controversial video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, why the GH5 doesn't matter. Got so much hate for that. It's, so it's, much hate. Was that the title for the video? It did. It oh, it's did. a great YouTube title. <laughs> yeah. I said, why the GH5 doesn't matter. And I was I was actually pretty angry in that video. Um, and uh, But got so much hate for it saying, well, you know, gear does matter because this, DPs use this, whatever. Like, dude, Roger Deakins, who is an award-winning cinematographer, still uses like incandescent light bulbs for some of the shots. Like he just uses what he has because he knows how lighting works. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and I think as a filmmaker, like I think you have to be so confident in what you have because you know, it's, it's a story that you're trying to tell. You're not trying to tell a story of, of a camera. I'm trying to tell the story right in front of you so that you can convey that message, whatever that may be to other people. You know, people aren't going to look at the camera. They may, they're going to look at the person, you know, at you, You, even if you're doing a, a gear review, talking about gear they're not really staying tuned because of the camera itself they may be you know maybe 25 percent of it but at the same time the reason why they're staying in tune is because they like how you present it they like your take on it they like knowing how it would benefit them because of your opinion on that gear and so uh, it's always about the story that you're trying to tell always about about the person about about people um yeah humanity always wins yeah exactly that's true. So going along with story in terms of creativity, how do you stay creative? Travel. Travel and music. I love I mean, I love Spotify. I love it's like listening just to different genres and everything. Like right now I'm into 
I'm into kamikaze right now. Like Eminem stuff is gold right now. <laughs> oh yeah. And so, uh, but even things like you know Petite Biscuit, um, uh, Corby, just a bunch of different. I just like listening to what's happening, like what's out there. That, that really inspires me. And so I, I listen to that um, uh, most mornings on my way to work, and it always sparks some idea. Uh, but whenever I'm traveling with my family, like, you know, we went to San Antonio a couple weeks ago and I was so inspired, you know, just by the river and just by just humidity and tropical heat and, and what Southern living is like. And, you know, just ideas popped up. And so I think getting out of an office like this, getting out of it, you know, going somewhere, whether it's the mountains or the beach or, you know, to a different city, um, I think always sparks ideas, but also just like letting other works of art like music inspire you so uh music does it for me i can't get inspired by going to a museum i try it doesn't work <laughs> but it may work for somebody else true like, who knows? true um but but yeah that's those are the two things that really inspire me nice so from what i got out of that is you basically have to get out from you know from the space that you're usually in 24 7 try somewhere new even if it's like 30 minutes away Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a different um, environment and something like that can just spark something different in your mind. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I when, I when I used to, you know, hang out in Orange County a lot, like I would go to Huntington Beach all the time, mm-hmm. like all the time, having bonfires out there. Um, but then realized like, man, Huntington Beach is the only beach that I spend my time in. But then I started going to like Dana Point and mm. then I would go to Victoria's Beach, which is a hidden beach where you can see that princess tower. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen on Instagram, you know, things like that. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff. Like, because if I, I've never seen it, now ideas are sparking, you know, now I want to be a part of whatever this is. And, and then that kind of makes you wonder what else is out there. You know, um, like for me, like I, like I'm a, I'm a California boy, true and true. And, you know, one day, you know, I do want to go back to California, but I'm also okay not going back because I've seen the world. I've, I've, I've been to all parts of Europe. You know, I've, I've, I've scuba dived in the Red Sea. I rode a quad bike in the Sinai desert. Like I've seen all these things and experienced all these things mm-hmm. that I know there's more and I'm hungry for it. You know what I mean? And right. so like, you know, while I'm out here in Texas, you know, I've heard rumors that there are mountains here and like. I'm going to find out, hmm. you know, I want to see what's out here um, and all this stuff. I know there's like a big old treehouse jungle gym somewhere in Texas that I want to partake in and, you know, run the zip line through there. Um, and so it's things like that that makes me curious to see because I know when I see those new things and be immersed in new environments that I'm going to get so many ideas and be inspired to do, you know, to make new videos. And so, so yeah. Awesome. So two more questions. And we'll wrap this up. But this has been awesome so far. A lot of cool. gold nuggets in what you've been saying. Oh, I hope so. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Especially when my when my son walked in the door. I hope you use that. <laughs> that that was gold as well. Um. So, what is your why? Why do you keep creating videos? My why is. It's because I want to see people be better than me. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I am. Um, a lot of people say that I have a teacher's heart, even though I don't like teaching, like in a traditional setting. Um, I, I don't. I don't like that. But I like sharing my knowledge and experience, so that when I see people take that and I see them succeed, like that honesty makes me 
incredibly happy because I got to be a part of that. You know, like one of my friends, uh, actually a couple of my friends, uh, when we all started learning photography together, like we would do the, these themed shoots that I would set up. I would call, like I would be the producer. I'd be like, hey, I'm gonna get some models. We're gonna get some makeup done. Let's just, you know, let's just shoot together. Let's have some fun. But, and they were learning photography on their own. And, you know, we had such a cool little group and they learned from all that stuff. They branched out. Some did weddings, some did portraits, but now two of these guys are like world-renowned wedding photographers that travel throughout the entire world. She did like $10,000 weddings, $15,000 weddings. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow, I got to be a part of that. I got to be a part when I showed them, hey, this is a difference between a shutter speed and an f-stop. And you can get, um, you know, that blurry background if you lower your f-stop and seeing them, you know, going, whoa, I didn't know I could do that. Knowing that in the back of my mind, even if they don't remember it, but knowing that I was there when that idea, that spark of passion first lit up and to see them just flourish, like, fills me up so much. And, you know, to, to hearing other people start YouTube channels, smaller YouTube channels and hearing, hey, dude, I finally did it. I went from five subscribers to, to 50. This is amazing. You know, 50, you know, that's relatively low, but they're so happy with 50 because, you know, it, it just 10x their, you know, subscribership. And so for me, dude, I, I absolutely love it. And I, I, I'm so excited to see, like when I hit 100K, whether it's this year or next year, it doesn't matter to me, but like that'll be great. But when I see someone with 10 subscribers to all of a sudden 10,000 subscribers, like that, that's going to be, oh, <laughs> I'm getting a little teary-eyed just thinking about it. But just to, just to know that, that, that there's that one person, you know, that just went through just storm after storm after storm to finally doing something that they love because it took a chance um, to pursue it because of a dumb little video that I made. Like, I can't think of anything better. Honestly, I can't. So that's, that's my why. That's my why. And on top of that, for my kids to, to see that, mm -hmm. you know. And so I, I hope, I selfishly hope at my funeral <laughs> that, you know, that a bunch of people all over the world, YouTubers that were just influenced and touched by, you know, certain videos would go up to my son and be like, hey, your dad helped me start a business or your dad, you know, led me to my future wife or your dad, like, that would be so cool. You know, I want to make my kids cry at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> That's the so, goal. So for selfish, selfish reasons, I, that would be my why. But I think, you know, generally speaking, I think I, I do, I do want to see people succeed. I really love, I love it. I really love seeing people elevated to, from taking them from where they are to where they need to be just fuels me so much. That's powerful because that's what it's all about, right? You know, the, totally. the subs can go away, you know, the, the sponsors can go away, you know, the money can go away once we, you know, you know, pass on, but it's what we leave here, the legacy that totally. we leave here, right? It's it's always about legacy and 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 in and your reputation and and to be remembered for this like back in the day reputation was was a big thing especially for um, for for men you know you got to have a uh, an honorable reputation back in the day not that I'm trying to be sexist or whatever but that's just what it was historically mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people forgot about reputation you know what I mean and you know a lot of people try to put on like these fronts these fake reputations trying to put a pr version of themselves on instagram or twitter like oh life's so great oh my gosh or you know oh i woke up like this or something like you know what i mean it's like <laughs> right yeah that may be fun in the short term but i bet you you know someone that documents their life um and i'll i'll, I'll probably lead into this um 
showing all the bad, showing all the like all that stuff. Like that's far more interesting because when you see all those like a series of these little videos or you know photos or what have you to where you are later in life, it's like, wow, you went from here to there. That's a cool story. And so uh, actually now that I think about it, like I I really like the underdog story. And I like I like, you know, in, encouraging other people to be underdogs so that they can show others like that they have a fight in them or that they themselves mm -hmm. can do it too. You know, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people like the underdog story, you know, just to yeah. see the least likely person to win to actually win. Mm -hmm. um, but I was saying um, next year, maybe even sooner, I, I'm going to shift the YouTube channel a little bit more to include um, more documentary like vlogs, you know, not, not so much in the sense of like, you know, the fun vlogs that, you know, Peter McKinnon does or Casey does, whatever those mm -hmm. are, they do phenomenal stuff like that. Yeah. But I kind of want to go the opposite route where, you know, put a camera here, like, okay, it's Monday, it's three o'clock, I'm freaking tired. And I have an edit to finish. Okay, let's begin. <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of right. deal. You know, Relatable. Like, show the actual thing or mm -hmm. even show the fails. Like, ah, oh, okay, so upload this video. I only get 50 views in the first hour. Okay, well, let's get them next time. Kind of thing, you know what I mean? Right, and so right. I, I think it'd be kind of cool to see, especially for my kids to see down the line where, you know, and their kids to see down the line. It's like, oh man, look at dad's life. Look what he did. You know, mm -hmm. oh, he, he struggled here. He struggled there. Oh, but he got better here. And he, he he's really fighting here. You know, that's, that's the legacy I want to leave behind. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So last question, what's in it for your future, for your business, you personally, what would you like to share? What's in it for me? Yeah, you can say what's in it for your future, for your business, for you personally as a uh, filmmaker, creator. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, to, to show that it's possible, to show that um, that people can win and to show that I've made it. And in, in many ways, I feel like I've already made it because as a, as a filmmaker, um, before the digital revolution ever happened, the definition of making it was to have your film out there in the theaters, right? To make, to pitch something to a, to a studio exec, to have it funded, to make the movie, cast celebrities, um, to get it made, you know, have it edited, go through a distribution studio and then send it out for a worldwide release. Like that was the definition of making it. Mm -hmm. That has changed because of the internet and because it's available to everybody, because we have, because everybody has cameras, right? You know, we now have, even with a single camera, we now have a full-on production studio and distribution studio in one single device that you can, with a button, share it with the entire world. So now we have no excuse of, you know, trying to make it. You know, everybody can make it, and and, and I think for me, I'm trying to prove myself that I can or that I ha that I have, but also to 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 show other people that they can make it too but maybe your idea of making it um is is aligned with something that's kind of false and not real and not you know you know riding with bugattis and lamborghinis or hanging out with hot girls or whatever it's like it's not it's not necessarily that i don't think but it's it's 
it's doing things on your own terms, I feel is what making it is. And, you know, I'm almost there. Like the fact that people are watching my videos, I'm just so blown away by, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. And so in terms of that, like, I feel like I've made it, even though, you know, I don't have as many subscribers as, you know, a lot of, a lot of the big timers do. I'm okay with that. I really mm -hmm. am. But the fact that I get to make my own content and share it and make a little bit money off it, like that's, that was the dream that we all had as as uh, as filmmakers, and so like the next step, if I can do this, if I can make enough now to go full time, hundred percent, do it, um, man, that that for me would be making it. Well, you're on the right track. Oh, thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and keep it up because the content that you put out, you know, it, it it's something that a lot of people can benefit from and are benefiting benefiting from right now. So. Props to you, and once again, that's it. Thanks again for you know being on this show. Um, I was really interested to see what you'd say, and I'm glad that you um, took the time out of your schedule to be here and share it with all of us. So thank you once oh, again. Thank you, Sammy. thank you for having me. I'm honored. Uh, it was fun. It was a blast. Um, again, apologies for my kid running. <laughs> no worries. No uh, worries. But that was a very realistic glimpse into what my world is like. <laughs> yeah. It's part of life. It's part of it life. Is. Enjoy exactly. the journey. Exactly. All right, man. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Peace. Thank you again, Sydney, for sharing your story on this podcast. And thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be placing Sydney's social media info down below in the description, so make sure to check him out. And if you got great content out of this episode as well, make sure to give it a thumbs up if you're watching or give it a great review if you're listening on the podcast. So thanks again for joining in, and until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.